Inspiring Minds, the Writing and Literacy SIG podcast. My name is Tori Pennington, and I'm here with Holly Riesco, and we'll be the host for today's episode. The Writing and Literacy SIG podcast aims to highlight scholarship, discuss contemporary issues, and engage in conversation with SIG members in the greater writing and literacy field. Through engaging in dialogue, we hope to ignite nationwide discussions amongst faculty and graduate students concerning topics that are timely and pertinent to the scholarship on the relationship between writing, literacies, and the broader field of education. Today's episode will be centered on the topic of celebrating our recent writing and literacy SIG graduates to learn more about their experiences and future scholarship. Before we begin today's discussion, we would like to ask our participants to introduce themselves, their institutions, and their research interests. Um, we'll get started with Dee first. Hi, everyone. I'm Diane Wellington. I am a graduate of Indiana University Bloomington from the Literacy, Language, and Culture Department. Um, my research interests include emancipation literacies, transnational literacies, and anti-racist pedagogy. And I'm glad to be here. Hey everyone, my name is Alex Corbett. I am a recent graduate of Boston College, their Lynch School of Education and Human Development. And my research interests are critical literacies, gaming, speculative fiction. Um, and I will be starting um, work at SUNY Cortland this fall. Over to Leslie. Good morning. Uh, I'm Leslie Knoll, and I'm a recent graduate of the University of South Florida Curriculum Instruction with a specialty in literacy studies. And I am the new assistant professor of early childhood and elementary literacy at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And I, uh, my interests are uh, intermediate students with high incident reading disabilities, um, specifically reading comprehension um, in the intermediate um, grades. Tip mostly. Um, that's where I'm at right now. Thanks for having me today. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah Girassa. Uh, I am going to be an incoming assistant professor of literacy at Clemson University, and I'm a recent graduate of my PhD from the University of Houston uh, in the curriculum instruction department. So my research interests really stem in digital literacies, looking at equity, literacy access, uh, specifically looking at affordances of particular spaces for literacy practices. So my work recently has been centered in TikTok, specifically book talk, and kind of looking at how reading motivation stems from that. I'm so excited to be here. It feels like back with like a family reunion. So everyone, so we'll get started with our very first question, which is to tell us more about your studies and specifically how they aligned with writing and literacies. And we will hear from Alex first. All right. Um, so I'll try and be brief, but um, my dissertation really focused on um, world building as a method of kind of playful co-authorship. So I've always been interested in games and creating community on digital spaces. And so for about a year, I worked with um, six youth, um, middle grades to high school, um, basically doing um, Dungeons and Dragons campaigns and role-playing campaigns. And each participant got about 
from six to eight weeks to tell their own story, build their own world, and the other participants played as characters in that world. So how do we tell stories together? How does that intersect with um, ideology, uh, ideologies of race and gender and politics? Um, then I also used conversation analysis to understand when you're role playing and telling stories together, how do you switch between like your character identity and then your your gamer or like player identity? And how does that um, function as like a compositional practice toggling between different modes of participation and identities? So a lot of nerd stuff. So uh, my work recently has been on comprehension, obviously. And my dissertation uh, looked at the effects of multi-component informational text reading intervention on comprehension. It was a multiple baseline study. Um, I basically took a small group of fourth grade students and put them into three small groups. Uh, we were looking at how students use informational text features as they're reading informational texts. And I wanted to find out um, if they were accessing or using them. So I basically compared um, just typical classroom reading instruction that they were already doing in small groups to my intervention, which is typically technically called text mapping. And it's the idea that you are, as you're reading through a text, you're also paying specific attention to the informational text features within the text looking at whether or not that information is also present in the text itself and kind of um, explicitly pointing out the idea that if you are passing over these informational pieces, you're missing information that's um, accessible to you. Um, and what I found was that during baseline, a majority of the students really just breezed right over. I didn't ask them to read captions or read charts. And if they didn't do it, they didn't get the information. And when they were providing a retell, um, at the end of the intervention, there was a lot of information missing. Um, and so what I did find is when you explicitly ask students to attend to these features, their retells increase in information and specifically they include informational text um, features. So yeah, so I am, that's been the work that I've been focused on um, as of late. And I'm going to continue that work. Actually, I'm going to start doing that with other populations of students. Um, unfortunately, um, when I was placed in the county where I completed my work, I was unable to have access to students with high incident reading disabilities. So this was actually just with your typical and some gifted fourth grade students. Um, so I'm really looking forward to trying this again with some tweaks um, with students with high incident reading disabilities. That's so exciting, Leslie. Like I love hearing everyone else's like scholarly interest in the work that they've been doing because, and I think that it's been just all of these different threads that really just connect us as like literacy scholars. And so like, even though, and I just say this because when I first started the PhD program, I felt like there was a very like distinct like study of like reading and then writing, right? Like there are these two separate kind of like entities. And as I continued in my studies, it was really about thinking about writing as this like bigger connecting part of literacies and this kind of not anything goes, but really like you can really widen what that landscape can be. And so like my work looking at TikTok, I thought it was kind of a joke at first when I was actually going <laughs> to suggest to my advisor that I wanted to do a dissertation on TikTok. I, I didn't think that anyone was going to take me seriously. And sometimes when I would tell people like, oh, I study TikTok, they kind of just gave me some really bizarre looks. But 
what I really loved about doing this work is the um, interactions of being able to really observe and see uh, through a survey. So I did a mixed methods uh, study uh, where I surveyed a lot of people <laughs> through a reading motivation scale, uh, just to understand their perceptions as uh, book talkers and really also wanting to unpack those individuals who maybe were reluctant readers when they were in elementary school and then noticing the changes that have happened because of this vibrant community that's happening online. And what really came out from my study is that their reading motivation uh, did shift, right? That their participation in this particular space did shift. Um, making videos or having a community to discuss uh, books that they just love or finding books that just felt so personal to them uh, really was a big motivating factor. And that experience, that affect of really being able to uh, that like sharing, right, that we do as reader responses. And I think a lot about the fact that this like vibrant community is happening, um, but we don't see that kind of joy and exuberance that happens in schools, right? Especially when we think of particular demographics of students who don't have that access point. So um, the work I'm doing, even though I'm a little nervous that TikTok might get like, I don't know, canceled, <laughs> but, um, seeing these spaces and seeing how algorithms, AI are kind of really shifting the ways we're understanding things um, is really exciting. And so I'm excited to be able to continue that work, um, really trying to work it into some of my work with my pre-service teachers as well, just think about um, how is this uh, space, this platform or these tools really just more affordances, not necessarily like TikTok's gonna be around forever. I mean, we already saw with threads coming in, like Twitter's gonna be like, you know, the old thing. You know, these technologies are coming through. So what do we notice about these spaces and what does that do for us in our literacy practices? So that's kind of what I've been dappling in. But Dee, I wanna hear about you too. All right, so I did a multiple-sided um, transnational case study. So. I went to both Jamaica and North Carolina, where I used to teach and work with both teachers and students there um, and studied pretty much can teachers teach students how to dream in an English education classroom. Um, and I based it on this idea of emancipation literacies. And it comes from um, Bob Marley's statement, emancipate yourself from anti-slavery, none other than us can free our minds. And I kind of nuanced the different meanings of like emancipation, freedom, and liberation. So this idea that we emancipate ourselves as an individual act, a uh, self-act, and then we liberate others. So once you freed yourself and you understand yourself and teachers understand, you know, what it looks like to dream and become, they can then help students do the same thing. So how I went about doing this, I crafted a curriculum and shared it in both spaces. And um, of course the teachers had the opportunity to share, change it however they like using Caribbean music and hip hop. So no real, no traditional literature per se. Um, and it, it worked out really, really well. Um, it actually ended up being like a counter narrative um, to itself. So how it showed up in Jamaica was very, very natural, organic. It was kind of how I imagined it would work almost. Um, I think the best thing well, one of the things that I thought they were most um, inspirational was seeing the students actually come out of their classrooms and join the other classrooms because of the music and the dancing and the vibing. And students actually come to my house in Jamaica, you know, to ask me about their spouse and their boyfriends and stuff. Um, so that was pretty cool. 
Um, and the North Carolina side of the study, um, it was a counter narrative to the Jamaica side because I worked with an 80 year old um, teacher and who taught primarily um, African-American or black American um, and Latinx students and had a completely different understanding of the idea of dreaming and what it means to dream and become, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And um, in both cases, it ended up really, really well. Um, we have, you know, we built great relationships and I hope to do it again, um, but next time in a more, um, I'm hoping that I could financially assist both in a better way next time. Um, because the, the level of vulnerability, right, that, that comes across when you share your dreams, um, there's no amount of money that you can pay for that, right? But I also still would like to compensate them if I could. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you all so much for sharing the connections between your studies and um, writing and literacies. I find it interesting that you are all applying your work to authentic literacy spaces for students in different ways and with different um, uh, levels, of grade, grade levels of students. Um, in thinking about the process you took to kind of get to your research, what advice do you have for doc students looking ahead in the process? Um, and we'll start with Leslie on this one. Sure. So the advice that I have for current doc students, first, um, immediately start using Zotero or whatever type of um, app you want to use for your research. Don't be a paper person. And if you, I'm a paper person. I printed out every single, you know, um, study that was in my literature review. I'm very physical. I had to make, um, I had to purchase, I had to purchase a huge whiteboard for myself to actually create um, a huge chart of how my studies interacted with each other. And then I had to turn that into digital because I needed it digitally. But if you're a paper person, you need to train yourself to go digital. Um, because when you start making your references and you're having to pull them manually, it takes forever. And I did not listen to the people that came before me and I continued to be a paper person. And it was a huge disservice. Um, I would also highly recommend that you lean on people in your program immediately. And I think one of the biggest mistakes I made um, early on was trying to work through things myself because I felt like at this level, I should be able to do this by myself or find this by myself or understand this concept by myself. And the reality is you have a committee for a reason and you have peers around you that can bounce things off. And I think I was so um, caught up in trying to present myself in a certain way that I was capable on my own. And that's not, that, that's, that doesn't serve, it did not serve me very well. Um, and my major professor kept telling me like, you need to lean on us. You need to ask questions. Stop trying to do everything by yourself. Um, and once I really just let go and uh, let committee <laughs> or <laughs> uh, it really, um, things really started to come together for me when I leaned on the professionals around me. And now I'm really realizing that, yes, I am doing my research on my own and I can do what I want, but I have, I need to work within my community, um, to really accomplish things 
in the best way. Um, and I think those are the two things that stick out the most to me um, in my journey. I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say. Well, Leslie, I was just going to piggyback because I agree with you. I feel like community is like one of those things that I didn't realize how much I needed in the four years for my PhD program. And I want to almost extend beyond just the community in your department or your institution, because I'll say that like, I started having a lot more fun once I actually started meeting people that weren't in my institution. I, I know like Alex and I, we met up and we started like meeting and then he got said like, Hey, you need to be part of this podcast. But like, once I started meeting other doc students or early career scholars, I felt like I found my people. I found like people that like thought about research and literacy the ways I was thinking they pushed my thinking a lot of ways like I, I feel like I have looked at theories or theoretical frameworks or even methodologies differently because of conversations that I've been having and I wasn't having those conversations in like my coursework that I was having at my institution so I feel like the biggest advice of like when I started having a lot more fun and just really like living my scholarly dream is like I started hanging out with people and I'm not the type of person that is like super like uh energetic to like go and like meet people although people think that about me like I'm somewhat a little bit more reserved and especially during the COVID pandemic like everyone was at home so I started doing a lot of like cold like emailing to people or like scholars that I was reading stuff and just making connections I was really like um and I feel like that's a, such an awkward thing to do, right? Especially as a doc student. But like, I feel like once I started doing that and like having conversations with others um, about my work and then like other doc students, that's when I just started feeling like I was part of it and not just like on the outside looking in. So I feel like that's the big thing. It's like find some people that you just like hanging out with and then you get to write with them and like do really fun, like work with them. And I feel like, I look forward to meetings <laughs> and doing work because I feel like I'm contributing to a much bigger thing. So I feel like that's the big advice I would probably give. Sarah, I think one of the best ways when you're early on to make that happen is um, getting out as many, I think one easy way is getting out as many proposals as you can to your conferences, because that is where I started to see like when I'm hearing all of you talk about your, your work, it's so different. We're, we're all so different. And that's what really inspired me when I started going to conferences and hearing what other people were doing. I'm like, you can do research on TikToks or I, someone was doing something on Twitter. And I'm like, that's crazy. I would never even thought of literacy in that way and expanded my horizon so much seeing other people's work and meeting those people and talking to them after their presentations. Um, and that I think that's one of the baby steps in your early years of getting yourself out there and seeing what else is happening plan early if possible so as soon as you know what you want to do start planning it took me about eight months possibly to even get in communication with the principal in jamaica and like um i had a relationship from my pilot study with the former principal but then that person migrated to canada so like navigating like all of these different aspects of the work um, and then going through the process of connecting with the district, right? Like that took a whole another couple of months of meeting with folks, right? So um, plan early if possible. 
Um, I think no project is unattainable, um, this plan for it. Um, I think that was something that I remember someone saying to me, um, keep it simple, stupid, right? It is cool. But for me, I wanted my work to be, be a reflection of me. So I have this argument, like I won't negate any parts of my identity because I identify as Jamaican American. So it just meant that I had to work harder. That means I needed to send my family to, to, the, to, the, to the school in Jamaica, because it's literally down the street from my house in Jamaica. I, it just meant I needed to move this a different kind of way to get it done. And everyone who said I couldn't, for me, whenever someone says I can't do something, that's motivation that I will. So, you know what I'm saying? So I just get it done. Keep pushing, keep pushing is another piece. Um, of course, we all, I'm sure we all can relate. Like there's a point where we're just like, I'm over it. And you're like, no, he's got to keep on going. Just get to the finish line. I, um, I wanted to build on this idea of community and also said community of mentors. Um, because, you know, we're already in isolation. Um, for X amount of time, no one else knows what we're talking about, right? Except us. Um, and we could talk about it forever in a day and they'll still be like, you know, it went over their heads because it's like, whatever, you know what I'm saying? So the community of mentors, because I remember having, well, I'm, she's still one of my mentors, um, this particular person who she would check on me every single week. Um, and she knows my little, my little tick, tick booms. So she knew like something is happening, something is happening. She like, she'll call me and be like, okay, I need you to breathe. I need you to calm down. Um, and then I had a retired professor who would check on me often because he's like, he knows how I am naturally type A personality. And, um, you know, being able to navigate the process with folks who don't necessarily have the same personality, right? So that community of mentors and just stay encouraged. Um, I do think for me, the dissertation comes with a healing to it, to me. I think the process is so traumatic that once you get to this end point, it's like, this is your healing. This is the growth. This is everything that you've like built up to. So there's a certain healing aspect to it. Um, and that we've already like reconstructed our realities, right? So look at it at that, as, at, from that perspective as well, that, as you're going through this process, you're also reconstructing a reality that you didn't even know existed, or you're creating a reality that you didn't even know existed. Um, so that's all. <laughs> Diane, don't you feel like a completely different person than from when you started the program? 100%. So I totally <laughs> agree. Like, I, I feel what you're saying in my soul. Like, I don't <laughs> even know who, I mean, Sarah says four years, mine took seven. So I don't even recognize 2016 me anymore. I'm not even that person. And it's been fun to see everybody here grow. Like we've all spent years together and I, do, I don't know, it's been so um, rewarding. I've, a couple of things that I'm thinking about really quickly is um, culture eats pedagogy for breakfast. I think everybody here has um, prioritized doing pseudo, you know, ethnographic work in different spaces, right? Or ethnographic work. I don't know if folks um, have framed their studies that way, but being in spaces where really exciting literacy practices are taking place and then asking, how does this happen? You know, how are these um, 
practices coalescing between these groups and stakeholders, um, rather than the other way around, I guess. Um, and then I just I'm just reiterating the community bit, um, but I guess prioritizing friendships and connections first, and and really not buying into like these scarcity logics of, oh, there are only X number of jobs and we all can't get those jobs. So let's get go at each other's throats. Everybody in this Zoom room um, really showed up for each other during the, the job hunt process. Um, I know, you know, we, we've all, all four of us have texted each other and sent emails. Um, when I was, I'll just shout out, you know, when I was doing my demo lesson, Sarah shared out resources and she's like, here's how I did mine. Dee was always texting me and being like, hey, finish your dissertation, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think that all of us showed up and um, I think that comes first because I, everybody in this room, I, tr I have a deep trust with. And I think that that lays the foundation to do professional learning and collaboration together. Again, not the other way around, not like jumping into someone's inbox and being like, hey, let's write a paper together. That's that's backwards. Like let's let's write together, let's ask how each other's families are doing, that type of thing. And once we get to know each other and trust each other, you know, the rest is kind of is gravy. So just a thought of about community and yes and to everything that everybody said already. It's so funny, Alex, because I feel like sometimes when we started, or maybe I just felt this way, it was like this rat race. It was like, okay, you've got to get everything done. You got to get this dissertation and it's just cutthroat. And yeah. I mean, yeah, I totally can see that. I mean, I'm entering in a tenure track position. And I'm a little nervous of like what that's going to really look like, but like I didn't feel that like that like cutthroat kind of like competitive like experience. I really felt like I was really so thrilled and happy when I heard that people got interviews or positions or like they're making those different milestones. Like, cause I just felt like they're winning and like, I just wanted to celebrate and be there for them and show up for them and ask, how can I help you? What are the things that you need? Um, and I think just to that note about like the job market, I think it was one of our friends that said that like the job market's like a pizza order. Like everyone has their own little pizza yeah. that they're ordering and wanting yeah. at each institution. They might be looking for mushrooms and pepperoni, but the other, they might be looking for Hawaiian. That's all right. That's right. It was Tyran. And like oh, yes. you, you might be for cheese, you know? And so like, you need to find that, that match. And so, um, looking at it that way helped me feel like really embracing of like, okay, well that job wasn't necessarily for me or that position or that culture was not for me. And then, or that school culture wasn't for me. And then I can, I can move into where I need to be. So yeah, I echo all of the things that were said. And maybe at the risk, Sarah, of being slightly toxic, uh, optimistic on my end, like everybody kind of wound up at a space that was right for them. Um, and, and a lot of the times when we would share like, oh, where we're applying to, they wouldn't, they didn't even overlap as much as we thought. And um, yeah, sp another spoiler alert is that like Dee and I are gonna be working together next year. And how, how neat is that, right? Like we, uh, that was not an uh, 
even a thought going into it. Um, but we, yeah, I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I get to, I get to bother her, you know, and jump into her office and badger her every day. <laughs> but I want to piggyback off of what both you, Sarah, and Alex said is um, that statement of best fit, right? Like I remember Sunny Cortland fed my soul. So that soul talk, it fed my soul. It spoke to my soul. It spoke to everything I'm already, all the conversations I was already having. And the people felt like my people. And they gave a replica of this, our team here, the, um, the Twitter team, right? It gave me a replica of the IU community. Like it just, it, it just was like, oh, like this is like home. Like it felt like home. So I wanted to speak, like speak to that point um, that both of you shared that just uh, this idea of community and just like you find your people like you know and where 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 are I, I'm thinking that we're each other's people you know what to that point Diane do you remember when we were becoming classroom teachers and I remember the advice I got was you're not just being interviewed you're interviewing the school and the the administration and you're finding out if you're a good fit and that was definitely something that I kept in mind when I was interviewing for these positions and I definitely had interviews where I felt or campus visits where I thought, oh, I don't, I don't belong here. I actually don't fit here. And yeah, maybe the money would be great, you know, at this particular job, but the one, yeah, I, I, you feel where you belong. And I landed exactly where I need to be. The culture at UCCS is amazing. Um, and yeah, I think you're interviewing the, the, the locations as well as they are interviewing you. So I'm taking all of this down, noting every single thing you all have said. Thank you. Thank you for these very positive and practical and wonderful tips for graduate students. Um, we've heard about the importance of community and culture and the expansive horizons offered through committees, mentors, institutions and beyond and through trust and friendship rather than competition. So after this process of rebirth that you all have been through, um, what is life like for you after graduation? And we will start with Sarah this time. Um, so after graduation was kind of a little busy because we've been moving. We've been moving to Clemson, South Carolina. So I've been trying to get acclimated to our new community. So like, taking walks and exploring the parks and enjoying the less um, less of a traffic uh, jam and cluster that is I'm used to in Houston, Texas. Um, so, but I've been writing a lot, you know, I've been writing a lot of the things that I've just really have been, I hadn't, I didn't have the headspace to really be able to do because I was working on my dissertation or I was working on AERA stuff. So like, I've been able to do a lot of really great writing that I just want to do. And I actually haven't done as much connected with my dissertation. I kind of want to give that a space, right, before I start pumping out articles and stuff. And so I've just really enjoyed writing and doing that kind of work and reading uh, things. But I also, um, we took a vacation. Uh, we went to Mexico for a week and it was amazing. Okay. Margaritas, some sand, some water. Their Drossen needed that. So yeah, just really being able to get into like, what is this new 
kind of persona going to be? I don't always feel like Dr. Jarasa, right? I still feel like I'm just Sarah, um, but I'm slowly getting into what my new institution is going to be with. And so I've met with um, someone who is going to be my advisee and just thinking about how I can kind of pay it pay it back as far as like the mentorship that I received. And so really thinking about how I'm gonna enter into the community that I'm in and kind of what I wanna take from that space. But I'm trying to also be really good about like giving a balance to myself. So like I've already decided that I have an office on campus and I'm really just gonna try to commit to just working when I'm on campus um, and really giving myself dedicated work times there. And then when I'm home, I want to be home. I have two children. One is three years old. One is eight years old. And I just want to be there and get to do a little bit of both. I don't know if that's possible. We'll see what that looks like. But that's my goal is really trying to engage and have that, that what is it, work-life balance that people always talk about. Like, that's what I'm really trying to do and just be intentional about it. Um, so I haven't stopped working either. Um, so yeah, yeah. I took some time after the defense and went home and it was great because I did absolutely nothing um, and um, that was cool but then you know the conferral process began so and the you know the revisions and the whatever um, so I felt like I never fully took a break um, I'm in the process of moving to New York um, to Syracuse so that's been interesting too. Um, but I've been motivating myself. Like when I came to Bloomington, I didn't know anything about Bloomington. So it'll be the same thing almost, except now we're not a student. Um, and then I, um, some minor syllabi prep um, and then service. I've done a lot of service, um, which I think is a reason why I have to stop working. Um, but it's cool. Um, I appreciate the service, honestly, um, because they're coming through mentors that I completely look up to, right? So um, just being able to connect in that way um, has been great. So I guess the positive side to the summer is we're moving and we have a job. Um, the not so positive part is that we haven't stopped working. <laughs> I think I'm in that weird space right now where I'm still dealing with ETD. <laughs> I'm waiting for like the final approval for that. And I walk in August. So really I'm in that weird space where I'm done. I've defended. I just have these little pieces that still have to happen. And I just moved. I've only been here for, I haven't even been here a week yet. I don't have my kids with me yet. You know, like everyone's everywhere and I'm just trying to sit in the uncomfortableness of this amazing new part of my life. Um, change is really, really difficult, I think sometimes. I mean, I'm super excited for it, but I have a kid in college who I'm not gonna see anymore. You know, I have two, you know, a 14 year old and a 10 year old who I'm only, I'm only gonna have my 14 year old here this year. I'm waiting for the other half of my family to show up here next year, just because of, I needed to come start this job. Um, and I get a little anxious now when I hear Sarah, when I hear you both, we're writing, I'm writing whatever I want. I'm like, I can't do any of that yet. I'm just in that. I know, I know it's okay, but it, it, you get, I get a little anxious, you know, like I know I'm prepping for my courses that I'm teaching. Uh, I'm still teaching at USF right now. I still have students there. So I'm kind of all over the place. And there has been 
zero writing happening here. There's been some reading, which I know is part of writing. So I'm just telling myself I'm still doing something. But when you've spent so much time constantly writing, researching, going over your data and like killing it for months, you, I feel, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like I'm not doing enough right now. Um, like I'm not being productive enough, but I just know that I can't, I, I just can't because I have to move and I have to get these things done. I have to settle my children, you know, ready for my 14 year old to start high school here. I'm trying to get all of his stuff done, um, for schools. Yeah, I know we do all need a break, Diane. Um, and this feels like a break. I know it's moving, but it feels a little bit like a vacation in a way. Cause I'm not aggressively writing. Yeah. Healing, healing literacies. That's so true, Diane. Yeah. So that's where I am and I'm feeling guilty about it. Yeah. And I, I totally get that. I, um, I have though, just so you guys know that I have set some boundaries and I have said no to some things and that is a big deal. Um, but like, uh, uh, my appointment does not start until August 15th. So like, I've been having to like say, I'm not doing X, Y, and Z until I'm getting paid for it. Cause I'm not getting paid right now for anything. So I want to wait until I have like, and kind of like what you said, Leslie, like I, this weird kind of like in-between phase that I'm in, because I don't have an email address for my institution yet. I don't have an ID, so I can't do anything. Like I can't, my husband keeps on me because he wants to get football tickets and he wants to get the, the faculty discount. So he's like, when can I get that? And I was like, dude, I don't know. And like football is like the lowest of my like priority list right now. So yeah, I get it. Like, we're just trying to navigate. I guess that's the big thing is like navigate what's new and navigate what we have. Listen, I got my kids a pediatrician's appointment and that felt like major win. So it's like, um, one of my friends said this, says this to me often, uh, sometimes when I'm feeling like really like overwhelmed. And I think it's something I try to think about a lot is like, what does success look for you, like for you today? And like, Leslie, like success for you might just be like calling the moving truck and seeing like where, where your stuff is, right? Like, or just picking up a book that you haven't read in a while, right? Like what does success look like for you? Because success looks like different for everybody. And I think even just naming that helps me to like, oh, I can do just X this. And then that is really successful. So. I want to jump real quick, Alex, I'm sorry. I, want, I do want to say, I do have to actively calm the anxiety of the whole move, right? Because I do have type A, I do have a type A personality. So in my mind, I need to like thoroughly plan certain things. As you were saying, Sarah, I can't. Um, in my mind, like, you know, you could start loading stuff into like the online engine, right? The online, the online tool but you can't. Um, I mean, I yeah, so no. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, <laughs> let me occupy my time with something else. Let me read this. Let me find time to read something else or write something else so that I still feel like I'm being productive, even if it's only for two hours or it's so, you know what I'm saying? So sorry. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> no, I'm just laughing. Uh, 
Sarah mentioned, well, I won't read that. Yeah, Sarah and her husband had a great labeling system for their boxes. <laughs> um, okay, let's just be clear. My husband's labeling system was not a labeling system. Like it did not describe accurately <laughs> what was in the box. It was literally just like random things. And they really were random things, but like, yeah. But I think that's the, like being comfortable and the uncomfortable and then just kind of knowing that it's not forever. It's it's an inconvenience. It's not a tragedy. Diane, that type A thing. That's why I was showing you this list. Like I tried to take control of my moving process. It's like <laughs> box 26 is Rubbermaid plastic. It has Christmas tree decorations. It needs to be moved to the office. Like literally what it is, what, what's in it and where it should be placed when it arrives. Like I needed to feel like I had some control over this process. And so I have this exhaustive paper list, by the way, that I had to take pictures of in case, I don't know, the house catches on fire or like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, maybe this is just obvious, but like three of us here have moved state lines across the country, like within the past few weeks. And then D is moving imminently within the next couple of weeks. Like this is such a huge moment of transition for all four of us. So I think a lot about how do we continue to support each other, you know, this upcoming year with whatever it is, navigating um, departmental, you know, politics or the tenure track or teaching or whatnot. Um, Sarah mentioned, what does success look like for you? For us, it has been getting a vet for our cat. Like there's, there's like not very low availability in the vets in our area. And it's like, that was the win for this month. Um, and then, the only other thought that I have is during moments of transition, um, I like to, especially like being in very like cerebral spaces like doc program or starting a, an academic appointment, I like to spend time like in my body. So I do a lot more running. Um, and then uh, I've just been listening to a lot of um, Star Wars audiobooks on tape. That's my weird thing, you know, like that has just, completely unrelated for, to, for, or maybe somewhat related, I don't know, to professionally. Um, but yeah, just finding those little pockets of, of joy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Star Wars fandom, Sarah. <laughs> well, this has been so amazing to hear from all of you about the communities you've created both uh, without or outside of writing and literacies, but also within. And um, we love hearing from all of you. And we also appreciate all of uh, the learning and advice that you, you've given us and we hope to, to continue to follow your scholarship. And we would love to close by asking um, about a favorite moment or impactful memory that you have while being on the Writing and Literacies Communications team. And we'll start with you. Um, my most influential, impactful, favorite, whatever moment is, um, when I met Dr. Yolanda Cedar-Ruiz. So when I met her for the first time, uh, my father was fresh out of the nursing home with Alzheimer's um, during COVID. And we were um, planning a Twitter chat, et cetera. So I remember apologizing and she told me not to apologize. Um, and then she shared some of her story and it, it showed me that it was okay to operate in this space, right? Like it was okay to show up as my full self in this process because at that time 
I was in my second semester of my doc program. So, I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out like almost who am I supposed to be in this space, even though I have been told numerous times you can only be you, but I didn't really know what that meant at that time, right? So fast forward, AERA comes um, and um, Yoli says, she messages me, she's like, hey, um, beautiful, whatever, whatever. And she's like, how is your dad? And that stood out to me because it was like, this lady is like, you know, scholar is like so well known, you know, and she remembered that. And since then, we've built a relationship. And literally every time she talks to me, I cry. Because it, it showed me, again, like this idea of healing. Like she changed what it meant from what healing meant for me. Um, and it, it kind of helped me figure out what healing meant for my work, if that makes sense. So that idea of like, none of this work is really external for me. Sometimes real research is really you, right? Researching you and your connection with it. So that's my favorite moment because it changed just how I interpreted the whole process and how I interpreted scholars and how I understood them. Um, so, yes. My thoughts are much less beautiful and brilliant than Dee's. Um, I, I can't, you can't follow that. The, um, but I'm just thinking about uh, and maybe this is a pitch for the podcast, for folks to join the podcast team and Twitter team more broadly. Um, but it's a nice excuse to learn from and talk with um, folks who you really admire and look up to in like a very low stakes way. Hey, can we chat with you on the podcast? And I think chatting with Eve Ewing or getting to talk with Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas and Tanana Reeve do together was like a mind blowing moment for me, um, especially as like a shy second year doc student. Um, there was that. And then also with all these folks, we're all working together and collaborating here on the podcast and Twitter team, just hanging out and not talking about work at conferences and, and you know, maybe, uh, having a, a an alcoholic beverage or two you know that's uh that or yeah or three uh is just nice too <laughs> i think for me it was uh just the ability to have something to do outside of my work it was like again a nice excuse to i need to put this aside and go do this other fun thing um that is also contributing to my work and not just the people I interviewed, but getting to know everyone else and hearing what they were doing, even the other teams, like the Twitter team and like everyone else hearing about what they were doing or who they're focusing on really expanded my horizons again, because you realize really what is possible in literacy beyond the scope of your own work. Um, and I think that this was another beautiful way for me to be exposed to what is possible and how narrow my own silo is but, you know, just hearing Sarah talk about um, her own work, I think it makes me think about how we do reader response. You know, we're writing what we wrote about, but really if we were that, just the exposure, I think, to just other people, because that made me think immediately, why are we still having kids write things down if they're, when they could be doing something that's um, aligned with their personal lives, their free time on TikTok, you know, book talk. 
Um, so I think it's just exposure what's happening around you in your field. Okay, so I feel like I echo pretty much everything you all have said, except I just want to say there was um, a real transition, I think, in my mind of like when I first started on the podcast team, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never been on a podcast. I never, I listen to podcasts, but like, that's it. So like even saying like, okay, I can help editing. Like I've done iMovie, like, and then seeing like, oh, I actually can do these things. And then being able to like support and then be able to, you know, produce and put out some really great, I think, episodes that I'm really proud of has just been really great. And I think when I first started, I was so nervous to reach out to like some of these scholars that I just like, like totally fangirled over. And like, as I continued, I, not that I got more cocky, but I was just like, Hey, it's not a big deal. Um, and I just felt like it was part of the conversation. And I felt like I, I was, I was part of that conversation, right? It wasn't just me, like the lowly, like graduate student. I was also part of that and, and engaged with that. And so I will just say that, like, this has been a really, uh, awesome community for graduate students. I think it's been something that's been one of my favorite things. I look forward to meeting and getting to work on things. It didn't feel like a job or a chore. It just felt like a fun thing. Um, I will never forget uh, the graduate student board little collaboration that happened between the Twitter team and the podcast team at NCTE uh, at the pool of the Marriott. And uh, I was Karis and Trevor and Caroline and a couple of others. And we all were like, let's talk about all these things. And we came up with the whole thing for this Hack Your Stacks uh, symposium that a bunch of us are working on. And so it's like stuff like that. that And we had the best a photo bomb to be able to do that too. So it just was like a really great thing. And so moments like impromptu moments that sometimes may or may not end up with um, a couple of, you know, alcoholic drinks or, you know, just kind of good food that you're exchanging. It's just a really good community. So I, I echo Alex's kind of plug for join the podcast or join the Twitter team or get involved in graduate student boards. If it's not for writing and literacy SIG, maybe one of your other interests, because I think that that's where um, we are the part of that community and that scholarship that's going on. I want to add something real quick. I want to echo that um, AERA stood out to me, the last one. To me, it felt like a big family reunion, like a big party. Um, it was so much fun and it was, it, it didn't feel like we were in a meeting. It felt like we literally were just kicking it in a lounge. Um, so just wanted to say that. <laughs> I just wanted to say that, uh, Tori and I really appreciate all of you taking time out of your day to be here with us for this podcast. Um, uh, today on today's podcast, we've heard from graduates about their scholarship in writing literacies and beyond. Um, and Tori and I have really enjoyed learning about your doctoral research, what you're doing now, and what you will do in the future. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughtful conversation. I know I'm leaving with a lot, um, a lot of great advice and um, a really positive outlook for the future. So we're so excited to see where your scholarship takes you and congratulate you on your achievements. Wow, 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 wow.